Welcome to Real Booked with Lindsay and B, where we reflect on the parallels between bestsellers and blockbusters for laughs and social disruption. I'm B Jordan of BlueCouchLibrary.com, and I read the book. And I'm Lindsay Howie of MyRelationshipWin.com, and I watched the movie. Like you can't hit record and then hit stop in the same second, or else it won't do anything. It won't, except right. for tell you it can't do that. <laughs> can't do everything at once. No. Can't start and stop at the same time. Damn it. It looks good. <laughs> I trimmed around my ears last night. It's not as long anymore. It doesn't go into my ear anymore, so it doesn't like make me want to hit myself in the face. Like there's nothing worse than having the longest part of your hair go like into the hole in your ear. Yeah. That's like, pretty awful. <laughs> yes. Like Ooh. Yeah. That's not a good feeling, guys. It's the top part is like you've got a control. Of a, no, it's very like in a intent. It looks it's uh sort of a Jimmy Neutron thing yeah. you've got going on yep. in like the best possible way. What is the uh, villain from The Incredibles? Oh, Ignito. Uh, oh, uh, oh crap! I don't remember. But oh, neither. But like him. Yep. That's yeah. I like that. That's what I'm going for next. <laughs> Mostly because I'm going to have to do it to the back pretty soon. Right. <laughs> and it's all just going to be pointing up and then I don't know. I don't know. Apparently I'm growing mine back out again and like it's long enough for me to put almost the whole thing up with hairpins. And the back it doesn't just, go in your ear if it's up with hairpins. It, it doesn't. I'm mm, sorry. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Experimenting with apocalypse hair? Is that what's happening? I mean, I've always experimented with apocalypse hair. Let's be real. <laughs> Have you seen that thing where you're supposed to Google your name plus apocalypse outfits? Yeah, mine's awesome. Mine is, there's like the first one is just like lame. It's like a floral dress, which is like no. <laughs> Betty. <laughs> no, I did B. Oh, yes! Right, but then the second one is there was a woman who, like, made... Uh, her name is B, and that's why it's on the internet with my name attached, because it's her name, too. Uh, but, yeah, that one's way cooler. There's, like, it's just... Same. Yeah. Like, the Lindsay that did the cosplay. Yes. She like, knew what I appreciate she was doing. You. I really appreciate the outfit that she designed for all the other Lindsays. We are going to match, and it's going to be <laughs> fabulous. I mean, there's not very many bees, but me and that one girl on the internet who made the cosplay thing, it's just, like, dirty jeans and... Yeah, ripped, like, ripped shirt, white sweaters but like with, with some extra... daggers and stuff, yep. and I'm like, all right, <laughs> yeah, give me a dagger. Close, close combat. Sure. That's, yeah. That's me. All of the filed spikes, like on all of the... I'm going to have to Google yours now. Oh, yeah. Yours sounds really cool. It was. It was really, really cool. I had like random bits of plate armor on mine, so I was pretty excited about that. That's 
That's useful too. I was thinking that if there's spikes on all of my appendages, <laughs> that I can like be a weapon. You are a walking weapon. I get it. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Speaking of the apocalypse. Speaking of the apocalypse. <laughs> were we? Yes, we were. I mean, at least our outfits during the apocalypse. <laughs> I mean, realistically, I don't see myself going to the store between now and the apocalypse, so I'm probably going to wear this, which is a flannel shirt and gym attire. <laughs> I'm much more likely to end up in yoga pants no matter what. <laughs> like, so, just being honest. I mean, maybe swap out the yoga pants for some denim because it's more durable if there's some, like, Mad Max action happening but i don't really see that being our apocalypse our apocalypse is um you know everybody on their own individual couches texting sadly i feel like that's been the last decade or so <laughs> so we're ready <laughs> lots of practice lots and lots of practice not quite the uh, apocalyptic event that we went through with the I Am Legend. No. Okay, so I read uh, Richard Matheson's I Am Legend from, oh crap, the early 1950s. Mm -hmm. I'm a professional. 1954. Mm -hmm. And you watched the 2007 version? Of I Am Legend. With Will Smith. With Will Smith, yes. Yeah. That, uh, I actually watched it twice. Because there is a director's cut ending, and I wanted to see... <laughs> okay, I when I was, uh, I was researching about the different adaptations, because there have been three, and yep. also it was the inspiration between, behind Night of the Living Dead, yep. this novella. I don't know if it's long enough to be counted as a novel, or if it's a novella, I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, it's like credited as the beginning of the zombie apocalypse movies which is funny because it's about vampires yeah <laughs> like legit vampires too not even like these like, weird morph ones no no that... no legit vampires yep. like can't go out in the sunlight drink your blood yep afraid of garlic and crosses and mirrors vampires yes yeah there was um an interesting bit in the wiki article about the book that was talking about how um the belief system of the person before they were turned would dictate yeah. how they responded to the well, uh, religious artifact. Right. So Robert Neville, the protagonist in the book, is not, uh, he's not a scientist. He He's not, like, that's something that all of the adaptations have done because it makes more sense because he's a virologist. Right. Like, it's, um, he's not at all a scientist he so he um is trying to figure it out being the last person um it's sort of told in three parts the first part he refers to later as his i don't know frenzied period or something where he is <laughs> he is just a disaster he's not okay in all of the ways and uh and then in the second part he's sort of like chilling out settling into his routine and trying to figure out what happened mm -hmm. Um, and so he's like going to the library and getting books about like he's got he's like it's got to be something to do with the blood and he's 
and and regularly going around like it's his job and dispatching vampires like finding them where they are in their daytime comas and stabbing them with stakes uh-huh. and killing them as many as he can and then um so he starts to put together that it was a bacteria <clears throat> that causes these symptoms and there are live ones and dead ones so, like, the undead vampires are much more mindless, and they, like, they're not as mindless as they are in the movie. I saw the movie once, years and years, like, probably in 2007. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're just, like, raw zombies. Um, whereas, like, somebody, Ben Cortman, who he used to go to work with, is dead and stands outside his house every night shouting at him, Robert Neville, come out! So they're not, like, that mindless, but but the, the ones who have been killed by the disease and are reanimated walking around are more, like, bloodthirsty, mindless vampire zombies. Um, and the people who are still alive are very much themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, they don't lose that much mental function Mm -hmm. throughout. So if they were Christians and they believed in vampire mythology to some extent enough that if you turned them into a vampire, they would, like, associate with it, then, yes, they would be afraid of the cross. But if they were not, then it would be, you know, whatever holy symbol... Right, was attached to their own their own faith. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. So the the um, the antagonists in the book then retained their their personalities, whereas the creatures that we saw in the movie they were definitely not human, even right. They were like very other. Um, they were very other, but what I actually, um, took away from the movie, especially having watched both endings, is that, um, you know, we, we define humanity right now based on a very, very narrow scope that is our collective experience, which has been written by an even narrower subset of people. Uh And so what I saw Robert Neville go through just in the different ways that I am legend ended was that, you know, he was very much aligned with, with what you just said, that these aren't even people Mm -hmm. anymore to the extent that he was basically experimenting on them. Yeah. Using his own blood, his own immunity, trying to, to cure everything. Like his whole entire thing throughout the whole entire movie was I'm not going to let this happen. Like as everything is legitimately like happening, happening <laughs> for years yeah. while he's yeah. doing all of this, right? Like sets up mannequins so that he has people to talk to throughout his day. Like very much like there's a whole system that he's got going just so that he can keep doing these experiments so that he can save everyone. Uh-huh. But in the meantime, everyone that he's trying to save has obviously gone through ginormous changes and they have then adapted to living as these new creatures, uh-huh. which I get is like they're terrifying and they're not pretty and like they're very other. However, the director's cut at the end makes you understand that even though they've gone through that transitioning, they still very much have 
um, some, some core human characteristics. One, and the one that the movie showed, is that connection is still a vital component to their new way of life because the primary, like, not vampire, zombie guy, I guess, I don't know, creature, uh, dark seeker, that's what they're called in the movies. So the pri- <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> so the main dark seeker that is attacking Robert Neville is only attacking because he has his mate. Right. And he he wants his mate back. That's the whole entire thing. And so as he's attacking, the director's cut shows you how Robert Neville connects those dots. And then he gives back the the woman that he was experimenting on. And that was enough for the attack to stop. So it (laughs) it was totally different than we have to blow this lab up and like you guys hide in here and I'm gonna sacrifice myself and that's how I'm gonna become a legend no 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 okay no he went through a major realization just in the last like five minutes of this movie where he's like looking at the polaroids of all of the dark seekers that he has experimented on and doing the mental like recalibration of oh my god I'm the crazy scientist that's experimenting on people. Okay, I like that better yeah! than the version that I saw. Yeah, me too! So, in the book, mm-hmm. uh, the woman that he finds running about, Ruth? Is her name Ruth in the movie? Uh, No, it's a totally different scenario. In it's the a movie. totally different character. Okay, so he finds, um, in the last section so it's been three years he's been learning everything he can about the vampire germ and he's still going around killing every vampire that he encounters it's like he's still being tormented by ben courtman which is funny because he's like he was the neighbor right he was the neighbor who drove to work with him and he is dead and just is like he really wants to eat robert neville is the vibe that i got yeah he yeah there's (laughs) yes it's it's funny because he's there throughout the entire book, which is told in three sections plus flashbacks yep. to the before. Um, and it's like the the vampire population around his home has is, is pretty low because he goes through the houses and kills everyone that he can find. Right. Daily. Right. But he's like, cannot find Ben Cortman's hiding place. It's like they have this weird frenemies thing going on where they both want to murder each other. And they're like, it's weird. Um, so, okay, so it's three years after the plague has turned everybody into vampires. He's basically figured out how it works he's going around killing all the vampires that he can and he's not any kind of a scientist but now he's like i'm the last human and i know how this bacteria works and so i'm gonna try and figure out a vaccine or whatever and he's not getting very far he's not doing very well he doesn't really think that he's going to succeed like the character in the book or in the movie does Mm -hmm. he's basically just like Trying. Trying, because mm-hmm. it's better than dying, I guess. Agreed. Um, and he sees a woman, like, in like uh, in the a daylight. A random person, a, right. A, ah, yeah. a human! Where did you come from? <laughs> and so he, like, aggressively chases her down because she sees him moving about and is like, Oh, God, it's coming to kill me! And runs away. 
And so he, like, snatches her and coaxes her into his house in a very, very not good way. But he's been alone for three years. Like, we see it in the movie where he's just, like, incredibly painfully awkward in a way that makes the person that he encounters uncomfortable. No, he freaked out about bacon. Like, he, yes. It's just just a little bit more in the book. From the 50s? Yes. Oh, yeah, that's, it was written in the 50s. The setting was the 70s, but it was written in the 50s. Right. So that's, yes. (laughs) Um, He was super extra, and, and then they, like, bonded and had sex, and... It was good. And then he insisted on taking a sample of her blood to do, to look at under the microscope and see if she was diseased or not. And like, I promise I'll figure out a way to cure you if you have it. So he takes her blood and looks in the microscope. And as he's realizing that she does have it, he, she knocks him out with a mallet. (laughs) and splits and leaves him a note like a dear John letter like oh yeah I was actually here to spy on you because we're setting society back up and you're murdering us you're threatening it so we're we're you need to run away if you you need to just stop and go away from here because we know where you are and we're gonna come and get you and so he doesn't run away. He's like, well, if they're setting up society, I don't know. We'll see what happens, I guess. And uh, yeah. and eventually they do come and get him. And they're, like, killing all of the actual dead vampires because of their reduced ability, ability to be alive. To be alive. <laughs> what with the deadness and all. You know. <laughs> and so it was, like, a whole sad moment where they took down Ben Cortman. <laughs> upset about it i bet yeah is he's he stuffs a lot of his feelings down and he didn't really know that he was emotionally attached to ben cortman until he was oh watching him be killed i bet that's another characteristic oh it's from the 50s. super 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 prevalent so uh, ben cortman died ben cortman died they arrested him and uh in the act of resisting arrest he was wounded like probably fatally And then, so he wakes up and he's being held in a jail cell and to be tried for his crimes of, like, going around murdering people Mm -hmm. (laughs) while they're sleeping. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so Ruth comes in and is like, I'm an officer in this new society and I told you to run away, dumbass, and gave him a packet of, like, suicide pills and left. And so he was standing there, like, about to take the pills, looking out at a crowd of people outside of his jail, like, looking at him with fear and terror and, you know. Mm -hmm. And that's when the I Am Legend comes in. It's like, they were legends, right? Mm -hmm. Vampires. Vampires. And And now now he's... he's... So it's not, like, a badass, like, I am legend, right? Like, I have found the cure and saved the world. No, 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 no. no. I'm, I'm the thing that goes bump in the night. Yes. So that's really interesting as far as that because I think that the the legendariness of Dr. Dr. Robert Neville in the movie is that he is he is a US military virologist and, and he does have everything at his fingertips that he needs to be able to actually make an impact. So it's really really interesting that like 
he's got his whole routine down and he goes through his block of the city and he's got his transmission set up because he doesn't even know at this point if there are other humans, Mm -hmm. right? Like it's him and his dog and all of these crazy monster things that basically just want to eat him. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't remember what I was going to say or why I was even talking. It's super different in the book, um, but also not as dramatically different from the director's cut. I think that's really cool that they did that. Um, Oh, the legend. Okay, so even between the different versions of the movie and how they end, right, the the legendary-ness of Dr. Robert Neville is a very, very different thing when you're looking at it from the perspective of he had to blow up his lab to exterminate this, you know, these creatures that were attacking him. Monsters. Yeah, these monsters who were attacking Mm -hmm. him. And, you know, he sacrificed himself so that the woman and the child could escape with the cure and go on to, you know, the newly established community in Vermont or wherever they were on their way to. Versus him having to go through that realization of I've actually become the monster. Yeah. And I'm the one that's actually done, like, I have done this by kidnapping this non-human person. So (laughs) let's take a minute to talk about science fiction in the 50s and 60s. That um, post-war science fiction and horror has a lot of um, white man fear. (laughs) So, yeah, the anxieties, um, I think it's funny that I I actually, I think possibly my favorite thing about Robert Neville in the 2007 adaptation of this movie is that he's portrayed by a black guy. Will Smith. um, Because it's actually stated several times throughout the book how very white he is. Mm -hmm. Like, he has blonde hair and blue eyes and is your all-American guy from the 50s and it's not meant to be um it's it's just who he is it's like that's just standard person right? of course it's standard exactly. person no one else had personhood <laughs> in exactly. the 50s so that this standard American guy trademark is coming to the realization that he is in fact the minority, the other, the thing that doesn't necessarily matter to the whole. Mm-hmm. That that's interesting. Um, uh, Richard Matheson wrote a book called um, "The Shrinking Man," hmm. in which a man is literally getting smaller. Like, honey, I shrunk the kids. Uh, I mean, gradually over the course of I don't know how long okay. the novel takes, but like, but tiny. Yes. Yeah. Like. Like, realizing all of a sudden that his clothes don't fit, and he weighs less, and oh oh god, the creeping horror of I'm actually getting smaller and smaller and less. Huh. And is that going to continue, and am I going to turn into nothing, and... Right? That's interesting. That's interesting because a lot of women go through the same internal struggle while maintaining their, like, physical size, uh and or expanding their physical size. Right, but that no, I think that's yes. Sorry, tangent. Yep, but the 
the horror in the 50s and 60s was often very much um, about these white man fears. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because in the 50s and 60s, these white man fears were being directly uh, confronted by greater society. (laughs) And so when you're controlling the narrative and being able to write these books and have them published and, and having this information be out there, then it's... It's like a a way to silo the perspective, right? Like, here is this fear, and I'm going to create this thing in this way so that other people can consume it and understand this fear in this way. I don't know. I think that consuming the creative stuff helps people with uh, expanding the outlook and shifting the perspective and helping them think through what it actually means to be afraid of other people. Yeah. Like, in this context. But... Having that space is really all that's necessary for you to switch from, oh my god, I'm terrified, Mm -hmm. to, hey, I'm slightly curious. And the second that you can do that, can separate um, that, that blinding, like, visceral... It's, it's physiological. It's the things that your body does when it's afraid that you can't control because mm-hmm. they're subconscious. But that space for curiosity is what puts you back in control of mm-hmm. those things. And I really like when people who are different from me or people who have uh, you know different worldviews are able to then consume this media and have that space, get curious and ask questions. And I think that that's how we get to the point where we do have, you know, however many years later, lots and lots, like too long, but Will Smith then becoming the the lead character in this movie that was, um, you know, this piece that was not at all (laughs) about him or people like him or anything remotely inclusive. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I also really like the the sudden realization that the other, the monster that you've been fighting against is not at all what you thought. And well, but in some ways they are. And yeah. that's terrifying. Like it's it's the duality of humanity, and that's why I really appreciate that they did the ending in both ways Mm -hmm. because it is terrifying to watch this giant group of people change into something that you didn't think that humans could change into Mm -hmm. like it again with the fear and the visceral feeling Uh like all of those things happen when you think about that many people being affected by something that's going to completely alter how they engage with everything around them Oh, hey, and we've got back to the apocalypse. Oh, hey. <laughs> and the potential for change. Change terrifies people. Yeah. And I think that realizing that helped me a lot in my own personal life because it, it's really, really easy to understand why. And also, it helps me to not be afraid of change. It helps Mm -hmm. me to recognize and see the pattern between how all of these inherent changes are strung together Mm -hmm. and how we're all kind of 
connected to and impacted by these changes that, that are happening as they're happening. Yeah. I just got distracted. Same. The thing that's that feels so scary right now mm -hmm. is that it feels like we're in a we're in a during and there's a before and an after and they're two separate things. Mm. That's what feels so terrifying right now is that mm. potential for change and what does that mean and what is it going to bring and what happens next. And I just maintain mm -hmm. that we're always simultaneously before, during, and after. I mean, that's true. <laughs> it's it's all happening all at once, all the time. And just because it comes to these poignant places where we can see the different layers and the spread, right? Yeah. And, and how far that reach really is. But again, with just needing that space for curiosity and being able to say, well, okay, it is global, but ever since forever like ever since before america before manifest destiny like there's always been that drive to take over the world right like i wasn't there but it was there <laughs> and now we've evolved to this place where we do have global society mm -hmm. and in a lot of ways we have been compartmentalizing that and not looking at it as if it is a collective whole for reasons <laughs> <laughs> And it's things like this that make you realize that we can't just have a quote-unquote global economy. You have to have a global society that includes all of the things right. that impact humans. Because you can't actually compartmentalize them. You can't silo them. You can't no. pick them apart. They're literally connected and they literally impact everyone that lives on the planet. That's why, that's another reason why everything is so big and scary right now. It's like, yes, the, the food chain or, you know, food like processing and delivery is part of the economy, which is part of healthcare, which is part of, but those things have always been that way. Yes. It's just right here, right now. <laughs> In a big way. It's just you guys are seeing it right now and the potential impact that that has. That's and yes. The visibility. <laughs> and that I think it's striking to then see what people willingly ignore and or are not able to see because all of the, the minutia of life just gets in the way. Mm. Or like in my case, I'm just super fucking privileged. Like, I just don't have to deal with a lot of things that a lot of people have to deal with, not just in other countries, right? Not just around the globe, but, like, right here. Mm -hmm. Like, we're not far from Pontiac and Detroit and, like, Flint and all of these other places that have a lot of people that are much more impacted by the global interconnectedness yeah. than I am. Like, I can, I can remove myself in ways that not everyone can. Yeah, and when all of our minimum wage workers are the ones that are most impacted, it becomes a lot more obvious, like, who's actually 
bearing the brunt of our societal and economical systems like who's actually carrying this whole thing i mean i can only speak from my own perspective i've always known these things it's again it's not surprising to me it's just that it's happening in such a way that it feels like now something has to be different and that is exciting because something needs to be different but it's scary because what does that mean and do I really need an apocalypse outfit guys right but like different how things have been different can Consistently, like we've been changing things and it's only been getting worse. Like the changes that we have been making have not been for the greater good. Right. I don't know what that means. Like right. that, that is a problematic statement in itself. And I will gladly acknowledge that here in front of everyone. Uh-huh. However, like the governing body is supposed to function so that it does improve things for everyone that's impacted by that governing body. Yeah. And our country has never done that. Right. Again, because of who had personhood when mm-hmm. our country was founded and the fact that that has not shifted very much at all, except in a lip service way. Mm-hmm. We don't have a federally ratified ERA. We have no kind of rights amendment for um, the inclusivity that is humanity. We, we don't have a way of actually banding together and recognizing how the humanity in me is the same as the humanity in you, regardless of where we're from or what we've gone through. Like, we are still people, and that means that we have, like, this set of rights that determines <laughs> what we <laughs> are able to do and what we are, you know, we should avoid doing for the sake of not harming people. Mm-hmm. And the systems that we have in place right now are super fucking harmful to everyone. Right. Everyone who is human. Yes. <laughs> so we're just caught up in the fact that, you know, this has gotten. So far out of control that nobody really knows at this point how to what, like fix it. There's not even a fix it because in so many instances, that's it's why like, I stopped right, because those are not the I right s- words. I used to go, oh, everything's so broken, but it's like, well, it was it was set up this way. <laughs> it was set up this way. It's not broken. It's functioning perfectly well. Thank you very much for a specific subset of people. The, the controlling body is yeah. very, very happy. Who that controlling body is, is layered through a whole, whole series of uh, smoke screens. Like, we don't even know who's actually, like calling the shots and making things happen we only see what we are given to see and that's always been the case (laughs) so right now we're given a lot of things to be afraid of we're constantly shown how othered and different everyone is from you know those centered people Mm -hmm. who are able to write the rules and if everything is still written from that centered perspective that is fearful because it is shrinking and it is threatened and it is, you know, I'm 
I'm not saying that their fears are unfounded in that it can be very scary to feel like you're being erased, but that's what they've been doing to everyone else forever. Mm -hmm. So I really don't feel bad for the fact that it's scary and changing because... <laughs> no, I mean, the further from center you go, the scarier that it's been for longer and the more aware you are of these changes. Like, I'm for sure, like, team vampire <laughs> this metaphor. Yes, that's Dark Seeker. <laughs> I don't know if that's better. better i don't even know what that means <laughs> it's funny because like and i've done this too but people really like to point backwards and be like that if we could just go back to that right oh, like right. Yeah. you and i are stuck in the 90s like we can't we, we can't are. escape the 90s guys no, <laughs> no. <laughs> we know it was like 30 fucking years ago it doesn't matter no. our brains still think that you it know, was 10 years 10. ago, and it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to snuggle a little closer into my flannel shirt and just yep. go listen to some Shania Twain later. Sounds about right. I've been super <laughs> into Britney. <laughs> yes! Yes, let's do that. All right. I mean, mostly because, like... Everyone made fun of her for her breakdown when she shaved her head, yeah. and now I'm realizing that she just had her eyes wide fucking open, and, like, I... Yeah. But when she called for a general strike, like, at the beginning of all of this nonsense, I yeah. was like, I knew that you were... <laughs> you were it. Like, if, <laughs> if you were not, like, giant pop star, like, we could be friends. <laughs> Except you are, so we can't. But, right. like... I mean, we could have. Yeah. I, and I always thought it would be pink, but like she didn't do the whole she general didn't. strike thing. And no, I'm... she did the thing where she was um, like obviously counterculture enough to seem cool, whereas Britney was, you know, bubblegum pink pop princess. You want to fuck me and you know it. Right? Mm -hmm. And now she's like, but guys, burn it down. <laughs> burn it down. <laughs> And this is why we can be friends. Uh -huh. <laughs> Maybe po post-apocalyptic friends. I like it. Yeah. Goals. I think it's funny Dreams. because Lindsay's asking me to help shave her head and I'm... <laughs> she won't, guys. <laughs> I will. I told you I will. You just... I am scared. She got hand flappy. It was I a did. whole thing. Like, I did not mean to make you that uncomfortable. I just can't. I don't have eyes <laughs> And I don't want it to be, like, crooked. I'm going to mess up your hair, and then your hairstylist, when things start happening again, is going to be like, what happens to you? And you're going to have to tell her it was me. It will never, ever be worse than that one time I was on a sailboat with my dad and my son <laughs> for almost two months and broke down and got a Walmart haircut and then came back a month later and she was like, mmm. <laughs> There's, mm. <laughs> and then it took like four months for her to like make it right again. That's, I don't, I won't, I don't want to be the reason that she looks at your head and goes, mm. <laughs> she likes me. <laughs> I, I think I have a plan for that. Okay. 
It's fine. We'll go through it later. I think we've got a little off topic. A lot off topic. A little. <laughs> it's all connected. You say that all the time, Lindsay. Everything's connected, guys. <laughs> I firmly believe in the interconnectedness of all things, and I would love to have a conversation with anyone about it, really. Anyone that doesn't live in this house specifically. But that's probably just my own, you know, self-isolation brain saying, Hey, you are introverted, but you need more than three people. <sighs> I'm okay. <laughs> oh, good. That's fine. Uh, I'm going to go bake something. That sounds about right. I don't know. I think that looking at I Am Legend right now was helpful for me to really see that <laughs> humanity mm-hmm. is not white men. Mm-hmm. Humanity isn't white people. Mm-hmm. Humanity isn't Americans. It is the collective consciousness mm-hmm. of the planet, regardless of if that consciousness is in someone that is neurotypical or neurodivergent or suffering from something or exceedingly and beautifully thriving in this time that is complete chaos. We all have just as much right to be here. None of us asked to be here. None of us asked to do any of this. And yet here we are trying to make the best of it and that's really all that should matter. Not that shoulds count for anything. But. I enjoyed reading it. <clears throat> I liked. I liked rereading it knowing that the vampires were people. And watching that realization occur to Robert Neville. I liked. I liked that. I liked equating it with the powers that be, Mm -hmm. the billionaire 1%, realizing that the masses are capable of doing their own thing. General Strike, guys. I'm on Team team Vampire Brittany? Yes. That's way better. That's way better. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh... I our power, it. our power extends to a lot more than we ever give ourselves credit for. The reason that we don't give ourselves that credit is because of the lenses that we've been given to use up right. until very, very recently. Because we've been taught not to. Um, so yeah, that could be exciting. No, I like it. I am curious about what lenses you need right now. So if you have something, you can go ahead and leave us a comment. Send us an email or reach out on Facebook. We'll be here. Take care. Thanks for listening. You can join the conversation in our Facebook group. The page facebook.com forward slash realbooked will direct you there. If you want to support us and get more content, find us on Patreon. And you can always email us directly at realbooked at gmail.com. All music in this episode provided by purple-planet.com. Hope Hope we we hear hear from from you you soon. soon.